This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Backstage with a gone and grace. Tales from the stands to the batter's cage. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. Tom Burgoyne, joined by my buddy John Brazier. And, John, this, I know this is going to be one of my favorite ones because I love when we bring in great journalists, broadcasters, you know, uh, renaissance men. And we, have, we have a renaissance man with we us today. Don't radio, we? TV, <laughs> print, books, right? The whole deal. Don't uh, forget playwright. Playwright, yes. exactly right. Playwright, <laughs> movie critic, movie critic, <laughs> yes. book, book. Yeah, right. TV critic. He threw out the first pitch. He was on yeah. with L.A. and Francie in these seats, right? Not yeah. too long ago. Let's bring him on. Hall of Famer. Love saying that. Hall of Famer Ray Dedinger. What's up, Ray? How you doing, John? Tom. Always great to be with you guys. Thanks for being here, Ray. This is very exciting, always is, uh, whenever we see you, Ray. But I, I want to really just cut right to the chase. John just kind of glossed over it. But uh, two years ago, you threw out the first pitch. Yep. Uh, well, first of all, and <laughs> I think uh, you made the comment, like, you should have thrown a strike because the Fanatic, who's the one who caught that pitch, uh, is, is a big target. Um, that is correct. How nerve-wracking was that day for you? Way more than I imagined. <laughs> Way more than I imagined. Because uh, a lot of my friends knew during that week that I was going to be doing it on Sunday. Uh, and so I, they, they, all week people kept saying, are you nervous? Are you nervous? Are you, I, what's to be nervous about? This is silly. Had you, you know, done it before? Have you, hmm? Had you thrown out a first pitch before? No, never had. Not any Little League? No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cherry Hill Little League when okay. my son was playing. <laughs> right. But that was it. And certainly not to, nothing to be compared with a Sunday afternoon here, California Angels, <laughs> Otani, Trout, everybody in the house. It was, and it was a beautiful day, and you had a big, big crowd, and which was fine. But all during the week, I said, no, no, it's easy. It's fun. It's just, you know, I'm just going to walk out there and just flip the ball to the fanatic, and what's to be worried about? The night before, the night before on Saturday night, somebody sent me an email of like the 10 most catastrophic first pitches. Oh, no. Who sent that to you? Somebody, <laughs> come on, a, a friend, <laughs> a friend. It was fifty. It was. Cent. It was done. It was done. Right. It, it, this was the context. It was. Look, don't worry about tomorrow. Look, look at what's happened to other people. Right. You know, and they survived. <laughs> I think. He, I think he meant well, but. You know, right. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, oh my God. And I can tell you who was that. It was 50 Cent. It was Baba Bowie. It was Mariah Carey. It was Carl Lewis. Yes. Right? Those are the all. Yeah. Those are the all ones. Traditionally, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, ones. who I thought would be pretty good, threw a really bad one. Uh, and uh, there was, um, oh gee, I mean, yeah, I think you, you, there was the the woman who sang who sang the song uh, "Call Me Maybe." 
Oh, oh yes. Uh, yeah. She she threw one that was yeah. <laughs> really right. bad, but it was um, Carly somebody. Yeah. yeah uh, you, what, you, Michael Carly Jordan. Jepson, right? Something like that. Yes, that's correct. But um, I mean, Michael Jordan, who played professional baseball, one hopped it <laughs> when he threw it. Right. So um, I mean, I looked at that, and on the one hand, okay, other guys have made fools of themselves. I kind of get it. That's nice. But the other side of it is, it it now will live forever. In, in the YouTube world. So when I walked out there to throw the first pitch, all of that stuff was running through my mind, and I just all I wanted to do was just get it to the plate and get off the field. <laughs> well, and it did. I it did. did. I did. And it was and it was really uh, and it was really nice. It was you know, I have to thank you, John. It was your invitation for me to come down here and do it. Uh, Dan Baker gave me a an absolutely lovely nice. introduction. Um, they, they put some really cool stuff up on the scoreboard and. Um, my my grandchildren still talk about it. I mean, yeah. it was one of the it was, and they got a chance. They got a chance after it was over to come up here, come in the booth, uh, and they had they just had the best time. Now I'm assuming that was less nerve wracking doing the inning with L.A. and Fransky, or was that equally nervous? No, it was it was it was easy. It was it was it was a, it was a snap. I mean, well, the one thing was, um, Larry, um, I'm sorry, Scott asked me if I wanted to do an inning of play by play. They asked. They, they offered me the chance to do an inning of play by play, and I, and I said no, no. I'm not, I am not doing an inning of play by play. I mean that that's your gig. I'll sit in with you and I'll kibitz with you for an inning, but no, I'm not. You know, people are not tuning in to hear me do play by play. But you know, I'll sit in with you guys and and, and have a few laughs, which we did. Now, I, yeah, again, I was going to say, have you ever done play by play or any sport, Ray, uh, where you've done play by play? Um, in college, at the college, okay. at, at, when I went to Temple, Temple. you know, yeah. uh, yeah. I, we did at, at the at the campus radio station. I did I did football, basketball, and baseball. Did you actually. like that? Did you see yourself like, huh? This could be an avenue for me. Yeah, I thought it was real. I, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. It was fu- it was fun to broadcast games live from the palestra. You know, I mean, with all the history of that place, it was fun when Temple went to the NIT tournament. Back then, when the NIT tournament still meant something, uh, went up there and be able to say, um, coming to you live from Madison Square Garden, you know, I mean, that that's pretty cool when you're a college Absolutely. kid. So, uh, but I never really thought that I was particularly good at it. Okay. You know, I figured if, you know, I, I always figured, Tom, I always figured I would be a writer. You know, I, I the, the, the radio stuff was just, it was kind of fun to do. I kind of enjoyed it, but I never really thought that that was where my calling was. I just thought I would always be a writer. Right. Now, I got a little tidbit from your son. Now, uh, as you know, Dave Dittinger uh, works here. We see him all the time at the ballpark. Were you getting dirt on Ray? You called Dave dirt. to get I dirt? I was getting good stories. Now, <laughs> he had told me, we, uh, Dave and I played ice hockey together. In fact, we played on this field right here yes. during the Winter Classic. And yeah. we used to play uh, part of the 715ers over the spectrum, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but he had mentioned that your, I think it's your great or your your grandfather or your great grandfather had a bar called Ray's Bar, Ray's in, Tavern, in Ray's Tavern in Southwest Philly. My grandfather. Your grandfather, right? Sixty fifth and Woodland. Yes, and he said that you kind of built your trivia, uh, your sports acumen by uh, hanging out there, drinking your cokes wherever you're drinking, and kind of just being a sponge nice. and hearing all the you know the sports talk, right? And so then they used to exactly challenge right. you to trivia. Right in there, and you knew. Supposedly, you knew everything. Exactly right. That's a, that's that is that is a true story. Uh, my grandfather owned that bar at 65th and Woodland, and my mom and dad and I lived in a little apartment over top of a shoe store that was one block away. So I, from the time I was, I'm not kidding, seven, eight years old, I 
I spent my whole day in my grandfather's bar, uh, which seems a little odd, I guess. You had a, a, an eight-year-old hanging out in the bar. But, you know, I, I would help. I would empty the ashtrays. I would clean the glasses. Uh, and most of all, I would drink my Cokes and I would play shuffleboard. But most of all, I just sat and listened to all the men talk sports. Uh, and the, the idea of I was just a sponge absorbing it all is is really true. And the, the thing that David... David still, I don't know that he really fully believes this, but it is true. Um, the guys in the bar would bet beers on me mm. um, because I knew, because my parents went to all the Eagles games and they brought all the programs home, uh, and I read the programs. Uh, so I, I knew the Eagles roster backwards and forwards, and I knew all the numbers. So the guys in the bar, when things, things would get a little slow, they would bet if, if they mentioned a player's name that I could guess his number that I could guess his uniform number. And guys were actually betting right. betting beers, betting money on me. Uh, and and I knew them all. I knew them backwards and forwards. It was, it was always funny because they, they would always start with the obvious ones. You know, Steve Van Buren, you know, oh, 15. Chuck Bednarik, 16. Who doesn't know that? But as, as the stakes were raised and more money was being bet and it became more competitive, then they would start like the backups and then the backups to the backups. Mm. And, but I knew them all. I knew the roster backwards and forwards. So I guess what I'm kind of saying is that, um, you know, I began my journey on my life's path at an v- uncommonly early age, <laughs> back when I was like seven years old in my grandfather's bar. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Well, but not necessarily. John, you and I talk about this all the time. First of all, we, we were about at lunch today. At lunch today. I, Ray, I can name the, the whole uh, Broad Street Bullies roster and their numbers, you know, and because here's the thing. And John, we talk about it a lot. We, when the Phillies won in 80, uh, we were 15 <laughs> years old. When the Broad Street Bullies were doing their thing, we were 10 years Damn old. Uh, you're that's when you're so impressionable uh, oh, sure. if you're a sports fan. And you and I looked it up, right? You were 14 years old in 1960 when the Eagles won. So that's like right in your wheelhouse, right? In the wheelhouse. Right? Exactly right. Uh, and so, so you do you remember to take out the trash on Thursdays or that you don't remember, but you can remember who the offensive lineman was in 1948 for the I, Eagles? I can name them all <laughs> to, this, to, to this day. Uh, but the 1960 team was really yeah. – yeah, I remember that really well. I mean, remember that I, I, we were at that championship game. We were sitting in Section double E. Um, <laughs> Tommy McDonald, my favorite player, scored uh, the go-ahead touchdown right in front of us. Nice. Uh, ben Narek tackled Jim Taylor at the very end of the game to save the game right in front of us. Uh, I mean, I remember that day so well. Uh, and, you know, my grandfather, because he had the bar, um, used to charter a, a bus uh, every Sunday. 
and the bus would pull up to the bar and everybody would pile on and off we would go mm. to Franklin Field and all of the, all of his customers bought their season tickets through him so because th- they all wanted to sit in a block so he would go to the they would give him their money uh, and then he would go to the Eagles and he would buy a big block of tickets and at one time the late 50s into the early 60s he was the biggest he was the biggest account on the Eagles books. Wow. There were more tickets in my grandfather's wow. name than anybody else. He had yeah. at one at one time he had something like 212 season tickets in his name. Now season tickets then were <laughs> season tickets then were $18. <laughs> so it, it wasn't quite it, it wasn't quite it wasn't yeah, yeah. quite what it is today. But it, it really it really was. There were six home games and our seats were $3 a game. So it was an Eagles season ticket for the championship season of 1960, cost you all of $18. <laughs> all right, so you mentioned Tommy McDonald, and obviously uh, a relationship when you were young uh, spawned down the road sure. a play. So talk about, for those that don't know the story, talk about when you were at Eagles training camp. Well, Eagles training camp then was uh, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, and, um, and back then, pro football wasn't anywhere near as big as it is now, obviously. Uh, and the idea of people going to training camp to watch practice, it was like nobody did that right. except our family because we so, lo- so loved the Eagles. So we would drive my dad's two-week summer vacation, everybody else going to the Jersey Shore, not us, in the car. We're driving up driving up the turnpike <laughs> to go to Hershey to watch the Eagles do two-a-days. Uh, and <laughs> There'll be no Jersey Shore, Red. You're going to Hershey. No, we're, going, we're going to Hershey. Which sweat. Was, which, was, hey, sweat. Which, which was fine with me. I, mean, yeah. I, I couldn't think of anything better than Absolutely. going to watch the Eagles practice. But the, but the best part of it, in addition to just watching the practice, which was pretty cool, um, the best part of it was there was you had complete access you know, I mean, there was there were no security guards, there were no fences, there were no barricades, tape. You know, you can't go there. No, step back, everybody. I mean, there was no nobody went to the practices. Were there so, any fans other than you guys? <laughs> there were. I mean, some of the locals. Everybody was at the shore, John. <laughs> some of the locals. I mean, right. some of the Hershey people, some of the natives. They would drift by. Um, a couple of you know, real, real, real diehard fans like my parents might show up. Um, but I mean, we came every single day, morning and afternoon. But the thing was, I was uh, when McDonald was drafted in '57. I was just 11 years old, uh, and uh, and he was my favorite player right from the jump. And if you're an 11 year old kid and you want to meet your hero, you just stand at the locker room door, and there he is. You know, there's nobody saying, "Don't bother them. Oh, they can't do that." You know, or you know, he's he'll be signing autographs on, next Thursday. Or, right. I mean, he he comes out. Big and, Dom's uh, dad wasn't around. Yeah, it was it, it was that it was that easy and and so every day I would be there at the locker room door waiting for him uh and he would come out and and he would hand me his helmet and I would walk with him and I would walk with him the two blocks or whatever it was to the practice field uh and this was repeated every summer while he was a Philadelphia Eagle and it got to the point where he was so familiar with me he started calling me little brother mm. he got, he knew me and I kind of knew him and all that stuff well then you know, think time passes. He gets traded. His career ends. Uh, I grow up. I become a sports writer. <laughs> and uh, and later on, after he's retired and I'm now a sports writer, I used to see him around, Maxwell Club, stuff like that. But I never told him, you know, like he knew who I was because, oh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you're in the paper. I see you, you're right. You cover the team for the bullet. Yeah, I like your writing. But I never told him who I was. I never told him about that thing until – I sort of began trying my effort to get him in the Hall of Fame. And he knew I was working to try and get him in the Hall of Fame. So when he did get elected to the Hall of Fame, finally, 1998, um, 
he asked me to be his presenter in Canton. And it was in Canton, the day of his enshrinement, that I told him who I really was. Were you tempted to tell him ahead of time? Like, were you ever tempted, or you just wanted to wait for that moment? I, uh, I, it, 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 I thought about it, but, John, to be honest with you, the reason I didn't was I was – those memories from Hershey were so special to me mm-hmm. that my, my great fear was that, oh, some, you, know, you know what I'm going to tell him today, and that I would say to him, hey, Tommy, you know – I, I was a kid who used to wait for you outside the locker room, and I and you gave me your helmet, and, and he would say, oh, yeah, no kidding. I, I don't remember that. Yeah. And I would, oh, no, that would have been terrible. So yeah. I always wanted in my mind to believe that he remembered that kid. Mm-hmm. Now, whether he remembered, knew, he knew it was me or not, that didn't matter. But I always wanted to think that that kid was special to him. Right. So I never wanted to ask him about it to find out that it wasn't. Right. But the funny thing was when I finally sort of came clean with him in Canton, uh, I said, well, you might not remember this, but back in Hershey, I used to wait for you outside the locker room, and you used to give me your helmet. And he said, oh, my God, <laughs> you were that kid. Right. <laughs> so he actually he, he actually remembered it, and he said, yeah, you knew all the stats. You knew all that <laughs> right, stuff. Right. He said, and you grew up to become a sports writer. I should have known. That's so awesome. it, So it turns out to be – so anyway, you're right. It, it's, it's a great story, uh, and I always thought – I really, I really need to tell this story because it's such a wonderful story. I mean, there's no other story I know quite like it. So one day I just sat down and decided, let me just try and write a play. And so I did. And 2016, we put it on the stage, and we're still doing it today. Yeah, and it was awesome. Uh, Tom McCarthy, does he still do it? The other, not our broadcaster, but Tom McCarthy was the actor I know originally who was uh, the star of that, right? No, it was, uh, it was uh, Tom McCarthy was the original actor in Philly Fan. Oh, Philly Fan, that's right. Which so, was uh, which was produced oh, by the same right. company and yes. the same director. Yes. But Philly Fan was Tom. That's um, right. the, the actor who played Tommy in Tommy and Me and still does to this day is a fellow named Tom Teddy. Okay. Uh, but very, actually very, very similar. They actually kind of almost look alike. Yeah. Yeah, well, great great show. And it could have been a movie because it was such a great, uh, a great show, uh, a great story. I have to ask you this, too. Uh, Right, you know, so it's 60 Eagles, and then four years later. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, the 64 I was, collapse. I was doing the math in my head. You were 18. 18, right? So, uh, and it's been coming up now because uh, the people are trying to equate what's going on with the Eagles to the 64. I, we're not there yet, right, Ray? H- how much of a scar <laughs> did the 64 uh, Phillies leave? Well, I've, I've told this story before, and people say, oh, that's not true. No, it is true. Uh, the 64 Phillies almost caused me to flunk out of college. Uh, I started college. I started Temple in September of 64. I, my first class, I began classes the day after Chico Ruiz stole home, <laughs> and the great slide began. And I was so traumatized, and I was such a zombie uh, as that whole thing unfolded, and the Phillies wind up losing the pennant and I mean, that I, I, I couldn't study. I couldn't pay attention in class. I couldn't, I couldn't do, I was almost paralyzed. And, and that academically, that semester, it was a complete, utter disaster. And, I mean, I went on academic probation. I was one more bad semester away from being, being sent to Vietnam. Couldn't your mom write you a sent to say, Vietnam. Uh, um, <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> poor Ray is uh, mourning the no, loss they, they, of the they, they, had, they had no idea. I mean, and I, and I didn't tell them, right, right. you know. Um, but, I mean, I couldn't. It was so bad. I mean, you in, all day in class, it, it, unless you live through it, you can't really understand how bad it was. But all day in class, 
I don't know if everybody felt this way. I think a lot of kids did, but I know I sure did. You're sitting in class and, you know, teacher's up there teaching, and all you're thinking about is, okay, I'm playing the Braves tonight, Spawn's pitching. You know what I think they ought to do? I think maybe maybe they should bat Rojas lead off. Maybe they should move Callison up to the two hole. And, I mean, honestly, I'm not hearing a single word right, to right. the teachers. All I'm thinking wah, about wah, is, wah, wah, yeah, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> that's all I'm hearing. Or I'm thinking, you know, Dennis Bennett, you know, he, I, you know what, why did his arm have to go sore right now? And, you know, why didn't Mock put Balchin in last night? Why did he go to Roebuck? It doesn't make – all of these things are going through. And then I would go home. And the only thing I would think about going the whole way home is, okay, the game's on tonight on the radio. Not that much on television, but more on radio. But I'm going to go home tonight, and they'll win tonight. You know, all they need is one win to kind of break the spell, and then right. they'll be fine. So they'll win tonight. Bunning's going to pitch tonight. So they're going, they're going to win tonight. So you go home. Couldn't study, obviously. I figure I'll study after the game's over. And then turn, listen to the game, all nine innings, keep score. They would lose. And then when, it, when then, then now you're too depressed to right. study. Right. Now all you want to do is lay in bed and just stare at the ceiling. So this was happening throughout that whole thing. And then after they blew the pennant, then I was a complete wreck. And so, honest to God, mm-hmm. I mean, I all, they almost caused me to flunk out of college. Um, but when people say, oh, that was, you know, that, that must have been a tough time to go through, they have no idea. No idea. They, yeah. Unless you went through it, you have no idea. Because here's the thing. I was I was I grew up as a Phillies fan through the fifties, which were really bleak years for the most part. I, I mean, I came I was too young for the Whiz kids. So by the time I started following them, they were sort of on their way out. And the late fifties and the early sixties were just horrendous. Um, so nineteen sixty four starts, and everything seems to be really good. You know, all of a sudden, you know, oh wow, really good April, really good May. Wait, they're in first place, but there's that little voice inside of you that says. They're the Phillies. Too good to be true. They're the Phillies. Uh, right. But then things start to happen. You know, Bunning pitches the perfect game. Okay. Johnny Callison hits the walk-off home run to win the All-Star game. You know, Dick Allen's rookie of the year. They turn three triple plays that year. Mm-hmm. Like, all of this stuff is happening. You get to Labor Day, you look, and there's, there's six and a half up. And at, right at that point, you say – Oh, my God, this is the year. And just at the point when all of your skepticism, you finally now push that aside, you know, that now they're the Phillies, they can't do it. All of a sudden you get to September and it's clear to you, this is the year you've been waiting for. And right at that moment when you, you, when you put your guard down and all your defenses are gone and now you're fully on board yep. and your World Series tickets are in the mail is when the bottom falls out. And – it was the cruelest kind of disappointment. And anybody that lived through that, especially at that age, um, you, never really, you, you never really get over it. I know I'm not over it this day. I got to say, I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't alive because we were both born the next year. Yeah. And uh, Tom seen me uh, in Arizona, Ray. Uh, I was out for the two games, which we uh, you know, unfortunately blew two saves. And... The Phillies gave everyone a special 2023 playoff hat. It was a Major League Baseball sanctioned playoff hat. We only get one. I, <laughs> after I think the second blown save, I took the hat off, and with superhuman strength, I became an Incredible Hulk. And for whatever reason, uh, something compelled me to rip it in half, which I couldn't do if I tried right now. Uh, same thing. Like I don't know about you, Tom, but when that 
the game we lost in 1993, I wasn't even an employee. Mm. And when we blew that one game and we ended up losing 15 to 14, I think it was, yeah. like that was, to me, I had a walker. I, so I can't imagine if, thank, thankfully again, because I, I, and could you imagine if social media was around back then? Oh. Yeah. Could you imagine if social Ooh. media in 64? Brutal. And just ramping it up every other well, to get the Phillies off the hook in 64, I thought the 2007 Mets collapse was the one. Because I'd always say, oh, thank you. know The 64, you can forget about the Phillies. The Mets now have the worst collapse. They lost, uh, they had a well, we 17 had a, to go. They were up seven. Seven games, yep. They lost 12 of their last, uh, uh, they lost, I forget, they lost 12 of 15 or something going down the stretch. But, um what you're saying, Ray, and yeah. I, you yeah. know, it sounded pretty. Right. Well, pretty let's bad. go to a positive. Let's go to a positive. <laughs> now, Ray, I was telling you, next week we are recording this on Wednesday, right? It's January. Mm-hmm. What do we got? Tenth today. Um, next week, I'm heading down to Philly's fantasy camp. Okay, <laughs> which uh, it's run by a different organization. When you were down there, because you were down at the first what they called Dream Week down there. Called a Dream Week. And that was in 1984, correct? Yep. yep. 1984. Tell us about your Dream Week experience down there. That that was it was the thing was it was all brand new. It had never nobody had ever done it before. It was just an idea somebody had, and nobody knew if it was going to be successful or not. Nobody knew. I mean, the paper sent me down to actually take part in it because they wanted to see they they you know there was some suspicion this is some kind of a scam. Mm. You know, this isn't on the this isn't really on the level. You know, so let's go down and actually cover it. So they asked me if I would go down and take part in it, and are you kidding? I mean. A chance to go down to Florida this time of the year and play baseball for a week? Yeah, sign me up. So I went down, and every paper in, every paper in town sent somebody. The Delaware County Daily Times sent somebody. Um, the Courier Post uh, sent somebody. Uh, the Wilmington News Journal sent somebody, and the Daily News sent me. Uh, and You were the best baseball player of all the five of those, right? Richie Ashburn said I was. Okay. Richie okay. Ashburn said I was. I, I That's thought saying something. There was, um, when, when it was all said and done, when the week was over, I still have the clipping. I can show it to you if, I, <laughs> if, you, if you want to see it. Uh, Bill Conlon, who was, who was covering the Phillies then, did a baseball notes column. He didn't play. And, and, and did part he play? Of his, and part of, hmm? Did Conlon play? Conlon did not play. Okay. But he did a notes column, um, wrapping up odds and ends. Ba- because the big club, was, they were getting ready to start. So Bill did his notes column kind of like, Odds and ends and Philly's notes getting ready for spring training, and he had a paragraph on Dream Week, uh, and he said the Phillies just completed their first Dream Week and uh, apparently pretty successful. And Rich Ashburn, who was the the, the director of it, um, said that of all the players in camp, that Ray Dinger was or the, hmm. the, the of the Daily News was the best player. That's great. Which you know I and, and Rich told me that during the week. Rich told me that during the week. He said, you know, uh, he said, when I saw that you were on the roster, he said, I didn't know how serious you would be about this. I didn't know if you were, if you were just coming down here as a goof. Or, um, he said, but um, you can play baseball. And uh, I said, well, um, thank you. Coming from you, that's, that's high praise. Comes, come Saturday, come the big day of the big game, I'm the starting pitcher for the Dream Week guys. And who's the leadoff hitter but Rich Ashburn? And... Um, standing on that mound and looking in and seeing Rich Ashburn at home plate, a two-time National League batting champion. Um, And after I had, as a kid, looking at that stance from the center field camera, I mean, how many hundreds of hours I had spent watching him step up. And now I'm pitching to him. That was was a a wild experience. And I – I got him him on a ground ball to short. (laughs) Did you? 
Wow. And somebody and the local paper, the Clearwater Sun, had a picture of me releasing the ball, and you saw Rich in the foreground. Uh, and I, I hesitated about it, but I, I got it blown up, and I brought it to Rich and asked if he would sign oh, it for awesome. me. And Rich and Rich very nicely, and it's in my office now. Rich signed it, and he said, "Ray." Another routine six to three. Congratulations, <laughs> signed Rich Ashburn. Um, now Claude Austin went deep on you there, right? Claude Austin hit one out on me, and uh, we were winning three to one in the last inning. Uh, and there was this, this feeling in our dugout that, oh my God, we're going to beat the pros. Right. We're going to beat these guys. And they were not happy about it, by the way. Um, and I had pitched pretty well up to that point. Uh, and there was a runner on base, and Claude Osteen came up, and. Uh, and I knew Claude, although he's a pitcher, had been a very good hitting pitcher during his day. Uh, I was aware of that. Uh, and I stupidly put a pitch down and in right where he could get to it, and he golfed it out mm. of old Jack Russell right. Stadium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the game ended. In a, it was a two-run homer, so the game ended in a 3-3 tie, which actually was probably fair. I mean, yeah. I, you know, the pro, we didn't embarrass the pros. Right. And you got we to, didn't lose. Right. So, I mean, it, actually a tie game was probably a very fair So, result. were there a lot of guys in the 70s at that time, too? Because if it's 84, uh, were the guys that, you know, a lot of guys from this late 60s, early 70s, who else was playing in that? It was, um, but there were some, some, some of the whiz kids were playing. Um, Del Ennis played. I struck Del Ennis out. Uh, Richie played. Um, Bobby Wine played. Uh, Lee Elia was our manager. He played. Uh, Tony Gonzalez yep. of the 64 team played. Uh, Tony Taylor played. Um, Terry Harmon, who was a utility man on that team, played. Uh, Claude Osteen played. J- Jim Cott played. Um, big name. Yeah, Mage, there are a lot of good Mage names McDonald was down there? Mage, <laughs> was the, Mage was there, of course. Mage was the permanent third base coach. <laughs> right. uh, and uh, the pepper pot, as always. Um, but it was uh, – I came back and I just said, this is the greatest idea anybody has ever come yeah. up with is these dream weeks. And sh- and sure enough, they spread all throughout baseball. Right. And now I went back a number of years. I, I, I've gone back 14, 15 times uh, to work as a staffer at different camps, you know, th- pitching BP, hitting fungos, that kind of stuff. And I've done it with the Reds. I've done it with the Braves, done it with the Mets done it with the Rangers, done it with the Indians, um, because the guys who run the camp kind of know that I've done this stuff before. So if they come up short of a staffer, they'll, they'll ask me to come and, you know, I, I, mean, I, can still, I can still throw BP. I mean, I can still do that. And it's, I mean, it is absolutely, I always, I always tell people, if you're a real baseball fan, if you really love the game of baseball, and look, it's expensive, and, and you have the money, and you're willing to splurge on yourself a little bit, you got to do it. Yep. I mean, you got to do it. It is absolutely just the most fun week you can possibly match, assuming you don't get hurt. Right. Well, assuming you don't, assuming you don't blow a blow a hamstring. That's in- the funny part. Is that not funny for them when they get hurt? But you know, we always introduce the trainers, so it'll start next Wednesday, so a week from today, and the first day, the first games will be Thursday. You'll see about twenty guys, twenty five guys in line to the trainers' room on Thursday morning, uh, Thursday afternoon after the Thursday mornings. Uh, Friday by the time Friday morning it's doubled and then Saturday forget about it it's half the team and that's when guys like me that aren't supposed to play have to get in uniform because one team only has eight guys and they need someone to play whatever left field third base something right. so right. it's always a long and line then we for get the trainer <laughs> it's really and right. it, one the one it's thing great, the one thing that really and it 
I can't say it surprised me because I've been around baseball long enough that it didn't really surprise me. But it just sort of put into focus to me how good these guys are. Mm. I mean, even though they're older, they're older men, just to watch, you know, just to watch them, just to – just to watch Tony Taylor turn a double play, a 50-year-old Tony Taylor. It's just so fluid. It's so easy. Uh, and I remember one, at one point during the week, I came to bat against Chris Short, who's a really good pitcher. And Chris knew who I was. He knew I was a sports writer. You know, players have their opinions about sports writers. And they're, I'm at their mercy now on the right. field. So I'm in their world now. Right. You know? and so they can uh, – and I came up to bat against, against Shorty. And um, for the other guys, he was just kind of laying the ball in there. Uh, and I came up, and he threw the first pitch to me. And it just – I mean, I saw it, and I didn't see it. It just disappeared. I mean, it, it was here, and then it was there. You know? And I, I looked up at him, and he said, that's a slider. Right, right. <laughs> and, okay, I get it. Uh, I get it. I get it. Uh, I mean, and that's, and that's when you realize just how – how good these guys are. I mean, that's the, that's the thing I took away from it. The other thing, I did a Reds camp once, and I was the, the pro I was working with was a guy named Todd Benzinger, who's like the nicest guy in the world. He was the pro I was assigned to. So one day, they had brought all of their young players, all their minor leaguers had come in. So they were sharing the complex with us that week. So we had all of, we had all of our guys on one field you know, warming up. And on the field next to us were all these young minor league guys for the for the Reds and you know a lot of them were Latins and they were like 18 19 years old and they looked great and they could run and they could throw and they could hit and and I said uh, there must have been like 60 of them running out there so I said to Bensinger I said geez looks like the Reds have some really good prospects here and he said yeah and if they're lucky four of them will make it Mm -hmm. Uh, and he wasn't being, he wasn't being a smart aleck in saying it. I mean, that was, and that's when it, and I, and I thought he's probably right. I mean, that, that probably is the mortality rate of a farm system. I mean, you you looked at all these guys and you thought, well, they're all going to go to the big leagues. They all look so good. But then you realize how hard that climb is. And I've always remembered that him looking at that group and saying, yeah, they're lucky. And now I'd like to go back and find out, but he said, yeah, if they're lucky, four of them will make it. And that's, that's how hard it is to play at the major league level. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And you've seen it, uh, Ray. When I think of you, too, I think of, you know, when you left Temple, uh, you know, it must have been such a dream job to go work for the Bolton. Do, uh, what were some of your, like, early assignments? Um, did you spend a lot of time at Connie Mac, uh, or were you, did you get right into football? What were some of your early uh uh, assignments with the Bolt. Well, they um, they hired me in '69 to cover high schools. Okay. They hired me. I was worked when, right out of Temple. My first job was the Delaware County Daily Times. I I went there and, and covered news okay. for one year, uh, and then the Bulletin called and offered me the job to cover high schools. And were you just like 
pumped to to join oh. the sports department at the Philadelphia Bolton. Yeah, and they offered me one hundred and fifty dollars a week. Oh, baby! Because <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was I was making at the Delaware County Daily Times, I was making a hundred dollars and twenty five cents a week. So that was a major jump in pay. But the big thing was, look, I knew I knew I wanted to be a sports writer. You know, I, I knew. Working in the news department at the Delco Times, that, that was fine. That, I mean, it was a fine place to start. I learned a lot. But I didn't want to be a real news reporter. You know, I, I wanted to write sports. So when the bulletin called, you know, I didn't care that they talked about high schools. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'll, I'm, that's fine with me. I'll cover high schools. That's fine. Um, and then I went there, and I, for, after one year, the guy who was covering the Eagles retired. A guy named Hugh Brown, who had been covering them for like 35 years, retired. Uh, and the sports editor said to me, you know, we're going to put you on the Eagles beat. I was 23 years old. Awesome. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, nobody, nobody could believe it, including me. But he just said, no, I just feel like I, I just, I, you know, you've done really good work here. And I know you're young. And, you know, you're probably going to make some mistakes. But um, he said, I, I want to give you this opportunity. So they put me on the Eagles in 1970, and I was 23 years old. And then I stayed I covered the Eagles for 53 years. How did the players treat you at <laughs> yeah, that that's age? What I was like a, as a 23-year-old, did the players kind of see you as a 23-year-old and they were going to kind of try to, I don't know, exert their will on you or were yes. they respectful? Or? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> did anybody every, take every, you under their wing? Everything everything you were saying <laughs> right. and all, everything that was the, to be read between the lines, right. you were right. Um, they didn't like me at all. Um, they, they thought I didn't know what I was doing doing um uh i remember it's really funny i was part of the problem was the other guys the inquirer reporter the daily news reporter the suburban guys had all been covering the team they were all the guys in their 40s had been covering the team for 15 years um so they were well established and they had sources and the players knew who they were they knew who they could trust and so forth and i was just this 23 year old smart aleck who they thought didn't know anything uh and so I, um, I, you know, I, I got treated pretty rudely in that camp, uh, and uh, I kind of get it. I remember um, during training camp, I was there about second week, second week of camp, walking off the practice field one day. Um, the the backfield coach, a guy named Charlie Gower, great guy, really good coach and a great guy, said to me, uh, he came over. And he said, um, uh, you seem like a nice boy. So that was how he started. He said, you seem like a nice boy. Uh, he said, um, and I can tell you're trying really hard. He said, but um, I read the stuff you're writing. He said, you don't know much about football. Um, and he said, but, he said, I respect the fact that you're really trying to do a good job. He said, um, every night in the dorms, I watch film. Um, if It's up to you. You can do whatever you want. But if you want to come up some night, just knock on my door and come in, watch some film with me, I think I can probably teach you some things. Um, and so I thought, yeah, because I, I, I agreed with him. You know, I, I Look, I I understood football, but I didn't know it like right. they knew it. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of subtlety and there's a lot of nuance to football, and there's a lot of complexity to it that unless you really live it, you don't know. And you know, we're writing stuff in the paper and saying this was wrong and they blew this, and, they, and you might be totally wrong. Right. So he as he as a coach said, 
I'll teach you some things. So I, I, I spent that summer with Charlie watching film. And he really, he taught me so much about the game uh, and really kind of allowed me to grow within it. I mean, I, and look, I, I'm forever grateful to him. He didn't have to do that. Right. But, I mean, he did, and it benefited me tremendously. And did you use that going forward, too, as far as looking at film? and Right? Because I, I hear you talking about I do to this day. Right. I do to, I do to this day. Because he said to me, I remember one time, and this really – crystallized a lot of it he, he put a play up there and it was a play from the previous season and it was a touchdown pass against <laughs> against the eagles uh and uh, he said he stops he stops click clicks and stops he said okay what happened on that play and i said well um you know the cornerback you know the receiver ran a stop and go and the corner beat the cornerback touchdown he said you're wrong he runs it back, and he shows me. He said, we were in a different coverage here. He said, the cornerback's taking the flat here. The safety has to help over the top. That's the safety's play. Okay. He said, now, if you were writing that story, right. you'd be writing that the cornerback. the cornerback got beat on that yep. play, right? And I said, yeah, I would. He said, you'd be wrong. And he said, but you know what? You would put that in the paper. The fans would read that. They would assume that that was his mistake. And next Sunday, he would come out on the field, and the fans would be booing him. Mm for a play that wasn't his responsibility. And he said, so you wonder why coaches and players get mad at you guys? Because you guys make mistakes, and we have to pay for them. And I thought, you know, he's right. He's right. And so moving forward, as much as I covered the teams, good teams, bad teams, teams in between, I always tried to learn and be as fair as I possibly could because I really understood that, you're right. If we make a mistake in judgment that, okay, that was his, he blew it, the fans will believe that. And you better be right because if you're not, you're doing that player a real disservice. How about when you went uh, off, the, off the beat and then became a columnist? Um, same kind of thing applies, Ray, where you have to be careful about what you write. And first of all, did you like um, be, uh, right, uh, becoming a columnist rather than being on the beat? Was that a, a, a good transition for you? Um, it, it proved to be, but I, um, I really the change the the offer to become a columnist came in '76, uh, and I'm sorry, '77, and I had been covering I've been the beat guy now for seven years, um, and I've really gotten to like it. You know, I really felt comfortable with my knowledge of football. I really felt like I had I kind of really understood it. Um, the teams through the early '70s were really bad, but Vermeil had come in '76, and I kind of saw. I think this. I think this guy kind of has has figured it out, and I think he might be the guy that's going to turn this thing around. And now, you know, I might want to continue covering it because I've covered him through all the, the, the crap. You know, now that I think the guy have a coach who might get him to the top, I might enjoy covering it. But then, I thought no, because other stuff was happening in the town. The Phillies were getting good. The the Sixers had just gotten Dr. J. Um, the Flyers were. You know, the Flyers, there, the Flyers right. were, were, were two-time Stanley Cup yeah. champions and were really good. Um, like, everything everything was kind of really on the come in Philadelphia at that time. And as a columnist, you have access to all of it. So I thought, you know what? Professionally, you can't turn down the opportunity to be a columnist. I mean, that's kind of what you're – that's kind of the cleanup hitter in the sports page. So you can't – if somebody offers that to you, you can't say no very well. And also the fact that there were so many exciting things happening – in the Philadelphia sports scene that I don't know that I just want to limit myself. Look, I could still do the Eagles anytime I wanted to. 
but now why not be there to, to do the Phillies? Why not be there for, to see Dr. J? So, I mean, I thought about it, and I finally said, you know what? No, I got to do it. I took the columnist job, and it, um, and it was great. I mean, because that was a great time. I mean, it wasn't that many years later, 1980. All the teams played for the championship. All the teams played. Yeah. Now, the Phillies were the only ones that won it, but every team went to the championship, and as the columnist for the Bulletin, I had – Front row seat. Front row seat. Was there a, uh, when you were a, um, you know, in any of your roles as a reporter, was there a article you wrote that was most gratifying based on whatever reason? It could be the relationship with somebody or just a feel-good story that you wanted to get out. Um, and was there a contentious uh, situation where, you know, someone got in your face because they didn't like what you wrote or something to that degree? Um, I had a number of of, of those uh with your team right. <laughs> with the phillies uh the phillies of 77 78 79 80 were um um they were not an easy team to cover right. i mean they were a great team to watch because they were really good but they were a they were a bear to cover yeah i'm sure uh, i mean there was you know, I, I some of the young writers talk about you know covering teams and it's oh it's not i said you have no idea you should have been here in the late 70s because that was like Open warfare. Right. I mean, there was it was it was really really bad, and it was the only time in all the years that I did this. And this this is true. I mean, you had to cover the team because they were so good. You you couldn't ignore them. They they were really good, uh, and they were in it every year. Uh, and so I was down here a lot, and I would walk to that locker room door at like three o'clock in the afternoon when it would be open to the press. And I would put my hand on that doorknob, and I would go. <sighs> I mean, it was that was how it felt because you were walking in, you were walking into a situation right. that was just openly hostile. Yep. Uh, and I kind of understood it because um, the press was not kind to that team. Uh, a lot of a lot of what was written um, was, you know, they have a lot of talent, but they don't have any guts. You know, oh yeah, they can win. You know, they can win you know, 90 games, but they'll get into October and they're going to fall on their face like they always do. I mean, that was that was laced through pretty much everything that was written about that team. And I can understand if you're one of the players that right. you're not going to be too kindly disposed towards those guys that are saying all that stuff about you. And plus, the other part of it was, and this was more true in baseball than in other sports, was the press is everywhere. Right. You know, you're you're in there before the games, you're in there after the games, you're on the field, you're at the batting cage, you're surrounded. Like in football, there was you, you didn't have that much, you know. And I, I, I often said to the other writers, and they thought I was crazy for saying it, I said, you know, fellas, I think we have too much access. I honestly, I honestly think that it, it I think it kind of causes more of this friction that we're, you know, the guys are in the clubhouse and they look around and we're like standing around. Well, what are these guys doing in here? You know, I mean, we have a pass that says that says we have the right to be there, but this is kind of their room, you know, and we're kind of, in, I always kind of felt like I was almost intruding, you know, I mean, we're doing our job, but I can see when you have a situation where there's a built-in kind of tension anyway, because this team was so on edge. Well, you also had some intimidation, you know, like Mike Schmidt was intimidating, I'm sure. Yeah. You had Steve Le- Carlton, who, didn't, wasn't who didn't talk to the media, <laughs> right? You had uh, Bull, who's, you know, I love Bull, but he can be very gruff, and I'm sure back then you got... Boa, and you had La- and you had Larry and you had Larry who was incredibly volatile. Right. You know. Uh, I mean, Larry and Larry and I almost came to blows one time. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the clubhouse. It was just it was at the culmination of a whole bunch of things that had kind of been building up and building up, and 
I think everybody knew, everybody on the press knew, and players were this at some point this is going to blow up. I mean, it, it, there was just so much tension in the air. You didn't know which, when it was going to be, what night it was going to be, but it was going to happen. It was, it, it was inevitable. And it was, I still remember it. It was a Thursday night against the Pirates. And uh, um, Ray, Kelly, Ray Kelly Jr. of the Courier Post had written a column about Larry Boa uh, where he criticized Larry. And, and it was actually fairly, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that tough a column, but he just made a reference to Larry being immature. Uh, and it just, it just set Larry off. And, you know, in the clubhouse before the game, again, before the game, um, Buzzy was just kind of walking through the clubhouse and, and Larry saw him and just jumped him and just, you know, started screaming. And the next thing you know, they're in each other's face. And, um, and then it winds up with, you know, Larry, what happened was Larry tried to shove Ray. He tried to just shove him. But Ron Reed grabbed him from behind and, and tried to pull him away. But in pulling him away, what happened was instead of shoving, shoving him in the chest, he wound up hitting him in the face oh. uh, and wound up putting a welt on his eye and all that stuff. And so I was the only other writer in the room at the time, and I kind of got involved trying to be a peacemaker, and then Larry turned on me. And then next thing I know, you know, we're screaming at each other, and we're about ready to punch each other. And and, I, and it was and Ruley Carpenter happened to be there, and Ruley and Kenny Bush, the clubhouse guy, kind of broke everything up. And actually, Danny Danny Ozark actually came out of one of the rare moments. Danny actually came out of his office. The thing got so loud <laughs> that Danny actually Danny actually came trudging out of his office. It was like, look, what what what's going on out here? And it was me and Boa, um, and you know, Larry didn't talk to me the rest of the year. Most of the other players didn't talk to me the rest of the year because I wrote what happened, and it became like this big thing. Thank God we didn't have sports talk radio then. Right. Thank God we didn't have social media. We didn't have social media back then. I mean, it was bad yeah. enough as it was when we only had newspapers. Right. But if it, if something like that happened in today's in today's world, oh, my God, it would be worse. And but that's even be then, so, it was pretty tough to live with. And that's going to be so uncomfortable. Again, going in there every day to do your job, Right, but you just know, as you said, you open up that door and you're like, "Here we go," right? It just—it's not anybody's fault. It's just that it was a dynamic at the time. Um, believe me, as a front office person, I've—you know—when I was, you talked about the '93 team was tough. Did you cover right. that team at all, Ray? Uh, the '93 team? No, not no. really. I, just a very, very little bit. I mean, yeah. very, very little bit. I was—I was really pretty much exclusively doing football uh, back at that time. Um, I mean, they threw me in like late in the season when the team was really going good and heading for the playoffs. And I think I did, I did one, I did a piece. I remember I did a piece with Kevin Stocker. You know, when he came up and had how well he played, and what a delightful guy he was. I mean, he was. I know that was a tough bunch. I mean, they weren't yeah. the easiest bunch of guys to get along with. But but Stocker was a real prince. But yeah, that right. was it. I think I, I think you could probably count you could probably count the stories I did on one hand. Okay. <laughs> so my first year was '94. Uh, I had some radio station wanted to uh, get a player for an interview. So someone said, go get Kevin Stocker. He's the nicest guy. <laughs> He'll do it. So I learned this lesson that you never, afterwards, that you never ask a player in front of another player, right? So I did. I, I said, hey, Kevin, and John Cruck is sitting in his locker right next to Kevin. I said, hey, Kevin, John Brazier, uh, NPR, Phillies, hey, any way you can do an interview for this station? Sure, no problem, John. All of a sudden, Crux says, I'm wearing a suit. Crux says, dude, looks right at Kevin. goes, dude, don't do it for that suit. Come on, man. Uh, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Kevin gives me this look like, sorry, man, I can't do the interview yeah. now. And I walked away going like, is this how it's going to be? Yeah. My gosh. 
That was kind of what you had with the team of the late 70s. You had some young guys on that team who I think, by nature, were pretty good guys. Like the Randy Lurches. I mean, people like that were were pretty good fellows. Larry Christensen. Um, But they were – the peer pressure was such that they saw how the real veteran, the real hardcore veterans treated the press. And they knew that if they tried to cooperate with the press – they would get a lot of grief from their teammates. So the peer pressure thing just just turned that whole locker room into a into a really a really tough room to work. I've I've been in, in a million locker rooms in 50 years, but I've never been in one that day in and day out was as tough as that Phillies locker room. Oh. All right, then I, I know we're running a little long, but um, the other thing is tell us too about what it was like working with. I mean, I loved watching Eagles post game live. You know, when you've got Michael Barkan, you've got yourself. The Gov. you got the Governor Rendell, right? Seth Joyner, right? And you got a bunch of different moving parts. What was it like working with those guys? It was great. It was it was great. And the best part about it was it was it was almost an accident. You know, I mean, Comcast Sportsnet just came on in the middle of the season. Uh, and they didn't – there was no real forethought. Into, they just grabbed a bunch of guys and threw them together. Uh, and and it just clicked. You know, Barkan was the Barkan, and it was really the perfect combination. Barkan was the perfect moderator. Uh, you know, Vaughn Hebron yep. was was the perfect charismatic kind of former athlete that wasn't afraid to be analytical and critical if he had to be. I was there to kind of be the reporter and the statistician guy. And then you had the governor, you know, who was then the mayor, who was the fan. You know, and 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 his role was was to be after a game when the Eagles won to be we're right. great. You know, and if they lost, to be really mad. I be, you know, because he, you know, he's not a guy. I don't know if people realize this. He was at every game, but he was in no super box. I mean, he was a season ticket holder. He was sitting with the real people. Oh, yeah. In, yeah. <laughs> well, he and Dave Montgomery used to walk, go to the Palestra. Yeah, they, Palestra. yeah always sitting with the right? fans. Yeah, sure. I mean, always sat with the fans, and yep. so uh, I mean, he that's so he brought that to the show too. I mean, he he was he was a fan. <laughs> threw snowballs at Jimmy Johnson, <laughs> and, and and did that, and right. threw snowballs at Santa Claus in 1968 <laughs> at Franklin Field, the game that we're still hearing about. But he was there uh, to represent. The, the passion of yeah. the fans, which he felt in a very genuine way. He's the only mayor that I've known in this city that was a true sports fan. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, Tate was not, Green was not, Rizzo was not, um, you know, Street was not. Michael Nutter was kind of. But I always thought it was a real shame that in what is a phenomenal sports city with an incredible amount of, of fan love for the teams here and just a passion for all sports, that we never really had a mayor that kind of had that same kind yeah. of feeling or expressed it the same kind of way until Rendell. And they came up – actually, they didn't really – it wasn't their idea to put him on the show. They What happened was the very first time we came on the air, the idea was for him to just come on as mayor – and kind of welcome Comcast Sportsnet to Philadelphia. The idea was he was just going to kind of do a, hey, it's going to be great to have you guys here, and we're going to be watching this show, and blah, blah, blah. And the, But he, like, never left. I mean, he, he like, came <laughs> nice. and he sat down, and he was having so much fun, like, bantering back and forth, that when the show was over, the, the bosses said, heck, do you think he'd do it every week? Yeah. And they asked him, and he said, 
Sure. Yeah, you're sure. Yeah, and I think his approach was it's Sunday. This is my day off, but uh, I'd be sitting watching the Eagles game anyway. I, you know, if, if anybody looked at that and said he should be, you know, doing something more for the city, what's he doing on TV? It's like, hey, it's Sunday. This is my day off. And, uh, yeah, and he know, made the point. Very relatable, too, he, right? Right. And, and he made the point repeatedly. He said, you know, you go to City Hall, there's nothing happening in City Hall right now. The <laughs> yeah. place is deserted. Yeah. Uh, and I'd just be watching the game anyway. And. You know, he didn't, like, the money that he would have been paid as part of the show, he donated to the Police Athletic League. So, I mean, it was a win-win-win, you know? And uh, it turned out that it was, and he said, and he told me this a lot, he said, you know, this is the most fun thing I do. He said, all week I have to deal with all the politics and all the nonsense and, you know, strikes and all that stuff. This is my one day that I can just come out and have fun. And, boy, he did. And it was, and the show became... Incredibly popular. I mean, I can't. I, it amazed me how popular it became. Everybody watched that show. I for mean, sure. whether the team was good or bad, everybody watched that show. Nah, for sure, awesome. And, 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 I, and think about this, Tom. Just just go to wrap everything up. Is that uh, you know, think about when you were that kid, right? You're growing up at Southwest <laughs> Philly, and all those experiences you just said. You know, being becoming friends with Tom McDonald, and then <laughs> you know, working at RTI, you know, at Temple, getting that that beat writer uh, job at 20-whatever year, years old, going to fantasy camp and, and you know, uh, having success and Richie Ashford talking about, you know, you know the radio, go, then getting into the Hall of Fame and throwing out the first pitch and all that, right? <laughs> when you look at it, wow. I mean, wh- I mean, right, as a sports fan in Philadelphia, is there a greater mountain to climb? You've climbed every mountain there is. I, I feel that way. I, re- I really feel that way. And uh, – that's why a couple years ago, when I decided to retire, um, I really went back and forth on it, you know, because I, uh, I, I really felt, I really felt that it, it probably was time, you know. I, I've been doing it for fifty plus years. I was seventy five years old, uh, you know. I had missed a lot of things with my two children. Um, I regret that, but but with traveling, it was kind of inevitable. Uh, but I had, I have grandchildren now. And my grandchildren are now doing all those things, right. playing Little Leagues. I said, you know, I'm not going to miss that. I'm going to – it's time for me to do that. So I came to the decision I'm going to retire. And even though I felt then and I know now that it was the right decision at the right time, it was still hard because you were walking away from right. the thing you had wanted to do your whole life. Right. You know, and how lucky you were to have that opportunity. That was how I felt. So it was – you know, I look back on it, John. I have – I don't know of anybody I can name that's lived a better life than I have. I mean, I've for all these years, from the time I was a kid, did everything I ever wanted to do, professionally wound up doing exactly what it is that I wanted to do, and I got to do it in my hometown. Yep. I mean, I mean, who could possibly have had a better life than I've had? I can't imagine anybody. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, we're trying. We're trying, aren't we, John? The guy, the guy right next to you, Ray, is we're doing trying. a good job. Oh, I, I, not I quite all those if anybody, came, if anybody has come close, <laughs> if anybody has come close, I think it's uh, Tom. Ray, and uh, before we get into your quiz, because John's got a quiz prepared Did for you. Did you even know you have a quiz? No, no I had no idea. You should have told <laughs> you should, me. You I would have studied. It should be all right. But but I have to ask you, Ray, I know uh, I bought your book with uh, Glenn. You did the movie book. Um, I moved a couple of years ago. It wound up in a box with all the other books. And um, basically, I totally forget what your favorite sports movie is of all time and your favorite baseball movie of all time. I have to hit you with that. Okay. Number one movie, Glenn and I both agreed on this, was Rocky. The original, yeah. the original yes. Rocky. Sports movie. And, and our favorite baseball movie, when we did the book, when we did the book, we, took, we picked the natural. 
Uh, if I had to do it again, having yeah, seen, your favorite Ray, okay, I would probably I would say Bull Durham. Nice. I don't think good an- the right answer. Okay, because <laughs> I I don't think the natural uh, aged as well. Mm. If you watch the natural yeah, yeah, now, yeah. I mean, I really loved it when I saw it. In the movie. It's Agreed. it's real. It's very good. It's totally very agree. good. But but I think in terms of repeated viewings, I think I think Bull Durham wears a little better. Okay, uh, agreed. Love it, John. You da- down with Bull Durham? Totally. How could he not be? Right. <laughs> and Rocky as well. Right. I remember I, being in a minor. You know, I used to travel and still do travel to minor league ballparks and being in a locker room before a game and watching players. I've gone to a, a bunch of teams. Locker rooms, and they watch that in the minor leagues. Right. And when you watch that movie with minor league guys in a sure. locker room, it's it pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's they it's, love it. It's it's very good. It's very good. <laughs> the, the, the of course it was written by a baseball player. You know, Ron Shelton yeah. was played minor league baseball. He got a double A, I think. But I mean, it's written with that kind of awareness. The the dialogue, the banter in the locker room, the stuff on the bus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. It's it feels real because it is real. For sure. Awesome. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Ray, so you, there's eight questions. Uh, it's either multiple choice or true-false. I do have a true-false in here. Um, you have to get, uh, we, we say the bar is six out of eight, but it's about your life, so you have a good shot of, uh, of doing very well. Uh, Tom, there's got, how, about, how about this? Before he leaves, do, you have, do you have fanatic books? Oh, yeah. Do, do you have them in your, how many, the grandkids. how many grandkids do you have, Ray? Four. All right, before you leave, uh, right after this, if we you got, win, even if you don't win. <laughs> no, Tom, he's got to get six or eight. How, if he how, gets five of eight, there'll be no how, presents how, how for the grandkids. Are, how old are the grandkids? Uh, well, I mean, our oldest one, she's, she's just graduated from college. Okay. But the, but the two boys who came here, for sure, I mean, they, they would absolutely how love the fanatic book. Uh, they are 11 and 9. Perfect. All right, so Tom will, Perfect. Tom will write a, uh, the fanatic. I'll get the fanatic You'll get to the sign. fanatic to sign something absolutely. to the two boys. All right, if you get six out of eight. Thanks for the visit. Let's get down to business. Now here's your chance to show how much you really know. He might get grumpy if he can't stop you with Brazier's Quiz. All right. All right, here we go. Good luck, Ray. First one I'm going to get. It's a true-false. You grew up in Folsom, PA, right? Part of Ridley Township in Delaware County. The first Wawa convenience store opened in Folsom at the intersection of McDade Boulevard and Swarthmore Avenue in 1964. Is that true or false? It's true. Did you know that, Tom? I did not know that. First conven- Wawa convenience store. And I, I, lived, I lived one block from there. I lived, on, I lived on Ridley Avenue, which was one block. And the funny thing about that, the convenience store opens. It's, a, it's, it's, just not, it's nothing like the, today's Wawa's. It was a sort of modest little convenience store. We just basically w- went in and bought bread and milk. But my uncle uh, said, when it was opened, my uncle said, you know this thing is never going to work. Yeah, you know, they they should just they should just stick oh with the stick with the dairy. This this idea is never going to take off. Did he also say the Phillies are going to win the World Series that year? I think he did. And he passed up uh, buying stock, uh, Apple stock or something. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. About that time. I still remember Uncle Jack saying, "Yeah, this 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 thing ain't going to work. They should just stick with the dairy." He probably said the same thing. That fanatic mask guy that'll never last. Uh, all right, one for one. Number two, 
Uh, you got a BS in communications from Temple. Uh, which of these celebs did not go to Temple? So three of them went to Temple. One did not. Okay, so tell me who the imposter is. Who the one that did not go to Temple? Here we go. Comedian David Brenner. Actor Norman Fell from Three's Company and the Ropers. Uh, also in The Graduate, by the way. Yes, he was. Uh, television personality Gene London or singer Daryl Hall from the Hall from Hall & Oates. Gene London. Gene London did not. Did yes. not go. Gene London, uh, I believe he was from Midwest. Uh, all right, you're two for two. How about that? By the way, what? a Gene London reference in 2024. <laughs> Gene wow, we're London. We're we should do a survey for our listeners. How many How people many know, Gene, you know London? Gene London? Yeah, I think my brother was on the Gene London show somehow. What? Uh, number three. No, he's on the Mike Douglas show. Mike Douglas. Uh, number three. You co-hosted a highly successful radio show with Glenn Mackinac and co-authored several books with Glenn. What is Glenn's middle name? Do you need the multiple choice? Give me the multiple choice. All right. Harry, Jacob, Allen, or Isaac? Harry, Jacob, Allen, or Isaac? I think it's Harry. It is Harry. Bang. Three for three. Yes. Three for three. How about that? I don't um, know how I, I don't I don't know how I, that just I don't know how I knew <laughs> that but somewhere along the line I think I his wife I think Judy told me one time that Glenn's do you think we we're, 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 were comparing middle names and my middle name is an unusual one it's well, Reed well I was Reed. gonna say do you think Glenn knows your middle name uh yeah because we talked about it how okay. I got it all right we were just talking about movies three for three by the way yeah uh, we were just talking about movies and one of my favorite uh, sports movie of all time, might be number one. I have to because I'm a, I grew up playing ice hockey. Slapshot, yes, right. It was ranked number six on your ultimate book of sports movies, co-written mm -hmm. with Glenn Macnow. All right, true or false? All three Hanson brothers were brothers in real life. That that played in the movie. All three Hanson brothers were brothers in real life. Is that true or false? That is false. Two it, of them were two of them were brothers. Yes, it is false. All three of them were supposed to be in the movie, and then one of them got. Uh, called up, called up to the Edmonton Oilers, right. yep. and they brought down a guy named Dave Hansen, and they said, "You know what? That'd be a good name for the brothers. We'll call it the Hansen Brothers." And the other two were the Carlsons. Yes, exactly right. Uh, and it was based on the Johnstown Jets. Uh, so he got uh, sent from the. He was on the John Johnstown Jets. So there you go. That's beautiful. All right, four for four. See, I, I knew you'd be yep. you'd do very well. All right, you covered the NFL for the Bolt and the Daily News for more than twenty five years. Who rushed for the most yards in the 70s? So the entire decade, who has the most rushing yards with 10,539? Is it Larry Zonka, Franco Harris, Walter Payton, or O.J. Simpson? This is for the whole decade the of the 70s. The whole decade of the 70s, yes. Was it Larry Zonka, Franco Harris, Walter Payton, or O.J. Simpson? You are more than welcome to use Tom as your lifeline, mm. but I highly recommend that you not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, four great names though, John. Uh, yeah. To you know. So he had ten thousand five hundred thirty-nine. Ten thousand five hundred thirty-nine. Uh, I'm trying to think. Put it this way: the next number two is eight thousand five hundred sixty-three. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. Below that, um, so this guy that had a two thousand advantage, basically. Yeah, I'm thinking that. Um, well, Peyton came in a little later than the other guys. I'm looking at what his rookie year might have been, although. OJ came in in '71, but he didn't get the ball a whole lot till later. I would probably, I would probably say Franco. Uh, Franco's number two. OJ Simpson is number one. Ten thousand five hundred thirty-nine. Yeah, how about that? Huh. Uh, all all right. right, you're still in the running here. All right. Yes. 
You wrote a play, we talked about it, called Tommy Me, centered around your relationship with Tommy McDonald. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a little research on Tommy McDonald. I'm very impressed. I, I, I did not know much about him other than his Eagles. He played running back for the Oklahoma Sooners from 54 to 56. He played on the freshman team in 1953, by the way. Right? How many games did Oklahoma lose in his three years on the team? Not counting the freshman year. How many, team, how many games did Oklahoma lose, in other words, in 54, 55, and 56? Zero. Zero is correct. Wow. They were 31-0. and 0. Bud Wilkinson was a coach, and they went on to win 47, 47 games in a row. Which they I, won 47 in a, a row total. Still, right? How about that? But during, but during Tommy's time, they were 31-0. 31-0. And a running back, just a stud. Uh, there must have been other great players. Guys went on to the NFL from those teams, Ray? Not so much. No. Not so much. I mean, uh, you know, Jerry Tubbs became a linebacker. A guy named uh, Jimmy Harris was a quarterback. They made him a defensive back. Um, one of the offensive linemen, but um, it was mostly Tommy. Mm. It was it was it was wow. mostly Tommy. And in addition to in addition to being thirty one and zero as a as a player at Oklahoma, he he married Miss Oklahoma. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe maybe Tommy had a better life than yeah, what Ray's right, been right, going right, through. Right. <laughs> Although, say, didn't you date Christy I'd Brinkley? A, I'd say he had it going on, huh? Didn't you date Christy Brinkley? <laughs> no, she asked she asked me to go to lunch one time in New Orleans. <laughs> I, I had lunch with uh, Cindy Morgan. And you were busy that day. just passed yeah. away. Oh, Cindy you Morgan did. just had, passed. Yeah, because she was friends with yeah. Dave, uh, Dave a Abramson. Abramson, who yeah. is... Uh, oh, the video guy. Yeah, yep. and Dave said, do you want to come to lunch? I'm having lunch with... Uh, uh, Lacey, Lacey Underall. Yeah. Oh, how could you say no? And then, unfortunately, she just—I just—I think about a week ago she passed. Yeah. Away. Oh, just just over the week. Just very recently. Sad. Yeah. yeah. Very sad. Uh, all right, Ray. You just need one of the next two to get those autographed books for your uh, grandkids. Okay. Uh, you wrote a book about the Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl celebrating a quarter century of America's greatest game. Which NFL team? Now you got to—I'm going to make sure you, you hear the the specific part of this. Which NFL NFL team is the oldest major sports franchise? Without a league championship, now it's we'll just say football. So what is what's the oldest football sports franchise without a league championship? Now that includes, you know, they didn't win it. They they couldn't have won an AFL, NFL, or Super Bowl. Okay, the, the, the organization's been around the longest. Who doesn't have one league championship? Whether it's a AFL championship, NFL championship, or Super Bowl, is it the Lions, Bills, Vikings, or Falcons? Lions, Bills, Vikings, or Falcons? Bills. So just think about which team did not win a championship or if there's more than one. I have to say, these are harder questions that you normally – did you well, think because Ray's here Ray's, and he's written Ray's all the books? written all the books. Oh, I yeah. would say uh, – that's a good question. I, I, I would say the Vikings. Uh, well, <laughs> not like, not, it's the Falcons. But didn't the Vikings win a championship, uh, an NFL championship or uh, before the Super Bowl? I know they haven't won a Super Bowl. No. They, they never won a championship? No. Well, no, and, and, they've, and they've been around longer than the Falcons. I, I, I was doing some research, and they, they something said Falcons, <laughs> but Scott Brandon is going to get all of me, and yeah. I'm going to have to do a little. I'm going to give that to you, but I'm going to go back and see if I am correct, but I'm going to give it to you. But your last question is, uh, we know you're a huge Phillies fan, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Schmidt is the all-time Phillies leader in walks with 1,507. Uh, you can use Tom's your lifeline too if you want. Who is second with 947? So Schmidty at 1507, right? And next one's there's a huge gap, over 500. Hmm. Uh, All-time Phillies walks. Yep, second with 947. Was it Pat Burrell, Roy Thomas, Richie Ashburn, or Bobby Abreu? 
Pat Burrell, Roy Thomas, Richie Ashburn, or Bobby Abreu? You don't really need this because you've already qualified. I'm going to ask you anyway if he doesn't use you as a lifeline, Tom. Uh, Burrell, Thomas, Ashburn, or Abreu? It's a tough question. Very tough question. Yeah. You're making it tough on Ray. I would just, um, just based on total number of at-bats, I would probably say Rich. Okay. That would have been, been my guess. Bobby Abreu. How about that? Bobby Abreu, 947, second huh. on the team. All right, but you still qualified. Uh, I was going to do a, a question on El- Ed Delahanty. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> right. Uh, this he's guy's, cr- a, he's crushing this guy's it, right? a historian. How about that? But Man. Ed Delahanty, you I know didn't what? know You know what? I go, I go back. You're correct. The Falcons were the team. Because the Vikings... I guess the Vikings won the NFC, NFC championship, and right. they pl- and they played in the Super Bowl and lost. Okay, so they've they've never won a Super Bowl, but they've won NFC. So that would that would well, count. I guess, yeah, I meant like an overall championship. So I guess they no. Never, if, you, if you're talking about an overall championship, then, they, then, 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 then it would be the Vikings because right. they've been around since '61. <laughs> I feel like I'm back at uh, Ray's grandfather's uh, Ray's pub, <laughs> and, and I lost <laughs> I lost a dollar bet to and we're challenging. Somebody. Yeah, yeah, we're and, challenging if, right. if the kid's gonna come well, Ray, up with the right answer. Congratulations, you get some autograph books <laughs> from the Philly fanatic. Uh, Outstanding. I, I I know my grandchildren will love that. Awesome, and thanks for being here, Ray. Really enjoyed uh, you know you taking the time and uh, being our guest today. Really appreciate it. It was a blast. I love being here. It's, it's just great to be in the ballpark in January. It just uh, it makes it get gets me anxious, and I can't wait to come back when the weather's nice and the team yeah. is playing. It'll be here before you know it. All right, John, let's sign off. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time on Phillies Backstage.